ahead and open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through chapter 3, verse 5. And I want to start with kind of a, a running joke in my family. Um, it's actually about my mom. So, mom, if you hear this, I'm sorry. Just in case. See, if, if you tell my mom that you have a headache, she will inevitably say you need to drink more water. You clearly haven't had enough water. And, and sometimes, and these are real examples, this actually happens. Sometimes it'll be like, wow, I don't know, I've been drinking water all week. I had like eight glasses yesterday. I've already had four or five today. And then she'll immediately say, well, you've had too much water. <laughs> and, that, and that's why you have a headache. Or sometimes you'll say, you know, I'm just... I'm not feeling good, Mom. And she'll say, well, you're not getting enough sleep. I'll say, well, actually, because I've not been feeling well, I've gone to bed early and I've kind of slept in every day for the past week. Well, the problem is <laughs> you're getting too much sleep. My brother and I joke about this. Our wives joke about this. We have all experienced this over and over again. And it's funny. Sometimes it's a little frustrating because it's almost like it doesn't matter what you do, she's going to find a reason that it was wrong. But you know, as I've gotten older, one of the things I've come to realize is that this is my mom's way of caring for people. As hard as it is and as frustrating as it is, she means well. She, she wants to take care of people around her. She wants to care especially for her kids, myself and my brother and, and for our wives and our, our kids. She cares about people. Last week, we looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, kind of the middle of that chapter. And in that passage, Paul was writing about his care and his concern for the Thessalonians, this church that he had planted, he had shared the gospel in this city, Thessalonica, and then he had to leave. And he wondered, what, what happened to them? Are they still doing okay? And he was concerned for them. But he wrote about how he came to them and his care for them when he first visited them. And we looked at sort of his ideas about his relationship with the church and how that informs how we should see each other. And he used phrases like he had come like a child among them. Innocent, without pretense, without agenda. He said he was like a nursing mother to them, nourishing them with the truth of the gospel. He used the phrase that he was like a father to them, teaching them, encouraging them, challenging them, and comforting them. And Paul's point in that passage is that he cared about those people. He cared about the Thessalonians. He cared about their souls, especially their spiritual life. And so today, as we look at the passage before us, we're going to look at practically what Paul did or what he was concerned about to care for their souls. And I want each one of us to see what we need to do. It's not an exhaustive list from the, the passage today, but what we need to do to care for our own souls and to take it a step farther. How can we care for the souls of the people around us, especially within our local churches? And so we're going to look at four specific things. What does it mean to be purposefully present? How can we have a purposeful presence with other believers? How can we have a joyful dependence on other believers? 
How can we seek to have a faith-strengthening relationship to strengthen and deepen faith of ourselves and those around us? And how do we help prepare people for difficulty? Those are four topics that Paul's going to touch on in this passage. We're in this sermon series, Faith Out Loud. And, And just to catch you up, in case you haven't been with us, this letter of 1 Thessalonians is written to this church in a very difficult city. Paul went there, he shared the gospel, and he got run out of town. He had to flee for his life. He went to another city, and people from Thessalonia came and chased him out of that city too. He ended up having to leave the area. That's how bad it got. And so as he writes to them, he's heard what's going on with them, and he's encouraging them to keep going. And the path that he's encouraging them in is keep on living your faith. They had become known in the whole area as a church that believed in Jesus Christ and lived out their faith. And he's going to challenge them and encourage them to keep going in that. So what I'd like to do today is a little bit different. I'd like to read the whole passage, and then we're going to look at several key themes throughout the passage. So you can follow along with me. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 17, and I'll read through chapter 3, verse 5. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. Now, next week, we're going to look at kind of the response to this. Because of everything I just read, Paul sends Timothy. Timothy comes back with a report, and Paul's going to respond to that report. But I want us to camp out here for today and hear Paul's heart to care for the souls of the Thessalonians. And the first thing I want to see is this this concept of purposeful presence. What does it mean to be purposefully present, and why is it so important? We have in churches the idea of fellowship. probably heard this word. We We have a room down the hall here. It's called the fellowship hall. What does it mean to have fellowship? I think, unfortunately, in churches... Too often, fellowship is just getting together with other Christians, just doing something together, playing games, sharing a meal. And that, that's good. Those things are good. But I would suggest that in Scripture, what we are taught is to be more purposeful in our presence with other believers. Look at Paul's longing to be with the Thessalonians. 
Look at his heart's desire. He says it again and again and again in this passage. He wants to be with them. In verse 17, he uses the phrase orphaned. He considered himself orphaned. And it's interesting that Greek word can actually mean the parents are orphaned from the child, or it could mean the child is orphaned from the parents. It goes either way. And so Paul's saying, he's using this extreme example of this separation. He says, that's how I feel because I can't be with you. Also in verse 17, he talks about that he's thinking about them. Even though he can't be with them in person, he's thinking about them and they're on his thoughts. At the end of verse 17, he talks about his intense longing and he's made every effort to see them. 18, he says he wanted to come again and again. Paul wanted to be with the Thessalonians. He longed to be there, but he couldn't. So he did the next best thing. Beginning of chapter 3, he sends Timothy. And he repeats that in verse or chapter 3, verse 5. He uses this phrase, when we could stand it no longer. Do you hear Paul's heart? For the Thessalonian believers, I want to be with you. I want to be right there with you. I think we've talked a little bit that that one of the things Paul has heard from Timothy is that some critics had come into the church and were, were sort of being critical of Paul and his motives, and they were spreading lies and rumors about him. And I think it's possible that one of the lies that was being spread is, oh, Paul doesn't care about you. He, he left you behind. He doesn't care. He can't be here. And Paul's going above and beyond to say, listen to me, listen to my heart. I would be there if I could. But I think Paul's also carrying on what we talked about last week. He, he sees himself as a, a nursing mother to them, as a, a godly father to them, and he's saying, I care about you, and I'm doing everything I can to nourish you and to care about you, even though I am distant. And specifically, he cares about their souls, about their spiritual condition about what's going on in their relationship between them and God. And he understands that in Christianity, we should long to be and rejoice in being purposefully present with one another. Paul wants to be with them, not just to share a meal, not just to hang out together, but to open the word of God together to pray together, to share stories of what God is doing in their hearts. He says this in chapter uh, 5, verse 2. I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 2. He says that he longs to strengthen and encourage their faith. That's why he sent Timothy to them. That's what he wants. That's the purpose that he longs to be present with them for, is to strengthen and encourage them in their faith. I hope we can hear this and say this is something we all need in our relationship with Christ. We need purposeful presence with other believers. This is what fellowship really means in Scripture. It it is sharing a meal. It is hanging out together, yes. But it's doing so with a purpose. To go deeper and talk about what God, what's God doing in your life. Tell me your testimony. What are you giving thanks to God for? How can I pray for you? What are some things you're struggling with? 
This idea of gathering together with believers as a church is so important. It's repeated or talked about in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Listen to the strength of these verses. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. There's the goal, that strong faith. Paul's saying he wants to strengthen them in, his, in their faith in Thessalonians. Here we see that echoed in Hebrews. And so how is this going to happen? Verse 24 of Hebrews chapter 10, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So we need to care for one another. How? How's this going to happen? Verse 25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You see the emphasis on Christians gathering together for the purpose of strengthening each other in their faith. Let's look back at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at verse 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 18. Paul says, I, I long to come to you, speaking to the Thessalonians. I've tried to come to you, but something has kept him from coming. He says, but Satan blocked our way. We don't know exactly what he's talking about here. We don't know exactly what it was that Satan was doing. We, there's some hints and acts. We know that Paul wanted to go back. The persecution was so great. Paul might have come to the conclusion that it would have been harder for the believers for him to be present there. We know that when he was there, one of his friends, Jason, was arrested, dragged into court, had to pay money, all because they were trying to get to Paul, but instead they just could find Jason. That could be part of it. It could be there was something physically keeping him from returning. But whatever the case, Paul sees that his inability to go and be purposefully present with the Thessalonians is from Satan. Now, understand this. One way that Satan attacks us in our Christian life is by keeping us away from other believers in Jesus Christ. One of the ways Satan attacks us in our Christian life is by keeping us apart from other believers. When we do not regularly gather with other believers for worship and edification and true Christian fellowship and teaching, when we do not regularly gather with other believers, we are helping Satan in his work to undermine our faith. Ouch. And I want to take a moment here as, as a church over COVID, like so many others, we started live streaming. And I just want to say to the people on the live stream, if you can't be here because you're sick or something, and this is the substitute, that's fine. But understand that watching church on a live stream is not church. You need to come, whether it's here or somewhere else, and be purposefully present with other believers. We need to seek out opportunities to gather with other believers for the purpose of strengthening and encouraging one another in our faith. We need to do this to care for our own souls. You need this in your life. And I know it's hard. I know it's messy. I've been here at this church for 12 years. Steve, you talked about being ministry for over 30 years. Ministry, church is messy. Sometimes are messier than others. 
But I believe whether it's in the beauty of church or in the messiness of church, God strengthens our faith as we gather together as believers. We need to gather together to care for our own souls. But let's take it a step further. When you come to church or when you gather together with other believers in the church, do so for the purpose of strengthening them in their faith. Ask how you can help them in their faith. Pray to God that you would be able to encourage them and be purposefully present in their life as well. Another thing that Paul points out is that we need to have a joyful dependence on one another. We live in a difficult and often depressing world. Steve pointed out in his prayer that just yesterday there was another mass shooting in Texas. Nine people killed, seven people injured, and as always, unfortunately, those numbers might go up. There is a despondency in our world, a lack of hope, a burning anger and angst, and an utter void of joy in so many people's lives. We live in this world. We are affected by it and sometimes infected by it. And some people here today, even as Christians, even even gathering with the church, some people today might be struggling deeply with a lack of joy in their own lives. Scripture teaches us that joy is associated with knowing Christ. Jesus said, John 15, 11, I've told you this, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Matthew 5, 12, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is saying, even in persecution, you can have joy. So we are commanded to have joy. Joy in Jesus Christ because of the hope that we have in the gospel. But we can hear those things and think, I don't have joy, so what's wrong with me? Am I so broken that everybody else in this room is is having an intense joy in their life and I'm the one struggling? And let me answer that question for you. No. You're not the only one struggling. We all struggle with this. And God has given us something tangible and present in our life to help us in our struggle to seek out and maintain our joy in Jesus Christ. And that is the church of Jesus Christ. We need to have a joyful dependence on one another. And seek joy in one another. Listen to the stories of what God is doing in other people's life. And have joy in that, even if it's not happening in our own lives. Look at verses 19 through 20 of 1 Thessalonians 2. Paul says, For what is our hope and joy or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Paul writes often about the joy of a Christian saved by Jesus Christ, standing in the presence of Jesus Christ at the end of time and the beginning of eternity. And the joy that we will have knowing that we are saved and that Christ's purposes are complete. But understand what Paul's saying here. And this is really interesting. He's saying that there is some aspect of his future joy in standing before Jesus Christ that is tied to the faith of the Thessalonians. 
Some part of his joy in Christ depends on them and how they're doing in their faith. I want to share a story of a pastor I once knew, and I want to be very clear, this is not somebody anybody here knows, except maybe my family. I just want to be clear about this. We were talking about ministry once, and this person said, my job is to drive the bus. And he was talking about ministry, church leadership, as a, as a bus. This was his metaphor. And he said, people can get on the bus or get off the bus. It doesn't matter. As long as I get the bus where it needs to go, even if nobody is still on it, I've done my job. I hope and pray that God has worked on this person's heart to to change that view of leadership because that is absolutely fundamentally and biblically wrong. And, And Paul here is saying his joy in standing before Jesus Christ that in some way, shape, or form depends on those people following. The shepherd who is leading the sheep finds joy in bringing the sheep to where they need to go. If the shepherd gets there without the sheep, he's not done a good job. He's not a shepherd at all. Paul understood that he wanted to stand before Jesus Christ, as he says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, having fought the good fight, having finished the race, he wanted to serve people, point them to Jesus Jesus Christ, and nourish them in the gospel. And here in 1 Thessalonians 2, he's saying that an aspect of his future joy in Christ is tied to the Thessalonians. How do we understand this? Paul's perspective is always that everything he was able to do in ministry as an evangelist, as an apostle, as a missionary to the Gentiles, everything he was able to do in caring for and strengthening the souls and the faith of others is only because of the work of Jesus Christ in and through him. So it was never for Paul, look what I've done. It was always for Paul, look at what Christ has done. And so as he watched the Thessalonians endure in their faith and grow in their faith, he had joy because of what Christ was doing in them. Our joy in the joy of others in the church and other followers of Jesus Christ is ultimately a joy and a rejoicing in and a proclamation and worship of the glory of Jesus Christ and his work in and through individual people. This is one of the key reasons for gathering together as a church and for gathering together with other believers. So those times when you're lacking joy and you're struggling with it, you need to hear about what God is doing in other people's lives. And we need to have the humility to have joy in what God is doing in someone else's life, even if we don't feel that or see it in our own life. We need to have joy in what Christ is doing through others. We need to have joy in how God uses others in our own life. This is such a very different way of looking at the church. That we are joyfully dependent on one another. Part of caring for our souls and caring for the souls of those around us is to understand that our joy is linked to the strengthening of others' faith. And so we need to come together to lift one another up. And that's where Paul goes next. We need to strengthen one another's faith. 
As we care for our own souls and for the souls of others, our faith must be strengthened. Paul wanted to be purposefully present with the Thessalonians, but he could not at that moment go. And so he did the next best thing. He sends Timothy. Timothy was probably a new believer, maybe in Christ a couple months or or a year or two. We're not really sure. He was a very young guy. More than likely, when Paul sends him to Thessalonica, he was probably a late teenager or early 20-something. Just a young guy. And remember, this is not the cushy city where everybody wanted to go to minister for Jesus Christ. This was a hard city where people were arrested for speaking about Jesus. And Paul tells this young guy, yeah, you go there because I can't. Paul sends Timothy But Paul also says in chapter 3, verse 2, he calls Timothy his brother and his co-worker in God's service and in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why he sent Timothy. Because that was the strengthening in the faith that they needed. And look at what he was to do. Verse 2, he was to strengthen and encourage them in their faith. How? Teaching scripture. Explaining faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ applying these things to their lives, just as Paul does in all of his letters. This is the core of caring for our souls and the souls for others. We need to be strengthened in our faith. So many Christians settle for a weak and shaky faith. And we don't go beyond kind of a verse of the day or some happy thoughts about Jesus Christ Too often we're unwilling to dig into the difficult things of Scripture and go deeper in our faith. But God has given us the local church as an essential part of strengthening our faith. We need one another. We need the family of the church. In verse 3, Paul says he's sending Timothy so that the Thessalonians won't be unsettled by these trials. We know from the rest of the letter and from Acts that the Thessalonians themselves were facing difficulties. But what Paul's actually talking about here is interesting. He's worried because the Thessalonians have heard that Paul is still being persecuted, that Paul is still going through difficulty. And he's worried that their hearing about his difficulty is going to cause their faith to get shaky. And so he's writing them not only to encourage them, but to say, hey, we are okay. We are following Jesus Christ. And part of Timothy's mission in going back to Thessalonica was to strengthen and encourage them in their faith, to help them understand and correctly interpret the problems and the difficulties that Paul's going through. As we seek to care for our own souls, we need to seek out sound teaching, good biblical teaching to help us strengthen and grow in our faith. And we need to spend time in our own lives, in God's word, strengthening our faith. But we have to do more as well. Each one of you is a shepherd. Each one of you has a role of a a pastor in someone else's life to strengthen other people in their faith, to care for the souls of those around them, to gather together for Bible study and to talk about and interpret these things and apply them to our lives, to point others to the truth of God's word. And how to live that out in their life. We need to be strengthening and encouraging each other in our faith. The last thing that Paul talks about is a preparation for difficulty. Paul sent Timothy to help the Thessalonians deal with difficulties. 
In verse 4 of chapter 3, he says, In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. I find this very interesting, that Paul goes into a brand new place. He wants to share the gospel, hope people come and become Christians. But what is something that he talked with them about over and over? Coming difficulties and persecution. Why is preparation for difficulty so necessary? He says it in verse 3, so they would not become unsettled or shaken by trials. When we go through our own trials, our faith can be shaken. And we need others to come alongside us and maintain the firm foundation of the word of God. When others go through trials, we can be part of that firmness, that rootedness and groundedness in their own lives to point them back to the truth of God's word, to love them as a a living example of how God loves them. And look at the end of verse 5. Paul says, I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. Part of the importance of preparing people for difficulties is because temptation will come. And they need to be prepared for that, especially during the times of difficulties. Friends, if we never talk about facing difficulties in our faith, in our lives, in our churches, then we are not prepared and we are not preparing others to face the difficulties that will come. From all of chapter 2, 17 through 3, 5, The reason Paul is talking about facing difficulties is because he cares about them. He loves them. Too often, I believe, we focus on sheltering those we care about from difficulty instead of spending time to prepare them for difficulty. And I need at this point to say something about a movement among Christians and churches that is taking the Christian world by storm. There is a popular movement that teaches over and over again that God only wants us to be happy all the time and that if you will have real faith, then you'll always be happy, always be successful, always be healthy. If you have real faith, you will always see God be doing miracles in your midst. This is known as the prosperity gospel and it is a lie. And it is ripping apart the gospel of Jesus Christ and taking root in churches across the nation. Paul talked about preparing for difficulty. That doesn't preach in a prosperity gospel church. Difficulty throughout scripture and even persecution is taught that it should be expected as Christians and therefore we must be prepared for it as Christians. If we are taught that God wants us to be happy all the time, then when following Christ no longer makes us happy, we're going to quit following Christ. But if we are taught that along the way of following Christ, and if we teach our kids along the way of following Christ, you will have troubles, and Christ is right there with you, and he's going to use those moments in your life as hard as they are. And you're going to learn from other people and they'll be an encouragement to you and you can be an encouragement to them and God has a purpose in those difficulties, then they can be prepared for it. So that one day when they face trials on their own, they can say, I know my God is still with me. 
I heard about so-and-so in the church and how they went through something similar or worse and they kept holding on to their faith. We need to be prepared for difficulty, to care for our own souls by listening to the difficulty that others go through and learning what we can from them and by being a testimony of encouragement to others. Share the stories of how God has used difficulty in your life with others in the church. Are you caring for your own soul? Are you gathering with other believers purposefully and intentionally? Are you finding joy in what God is doing in and through others in the church and in other churches around the area? Are you growing stronger in your faith as you listen to good teaching and sit in Bible study with other godly believers? Are you being willing to listen to hard things, testimonies of difficulty, scriptures, teachings on suffering and persecution so that you're prepared for difficulty? Feed and nourish your own soul. Are you caring for the souls of others around you? Are you talking to them about gathering with other believers purposefully and intentionally? Are you sharing the joy of what God is doing through others to encourage them and comfort them in those times? Are you helping others to grow stronger in their faith as you point them to scripture and sound teaching? Are you telling others about difficulty in your life and how God has used it and helping them to prepare to face difficulty in their life? Are you caring for your soul? Are you caring for the souls of those around you? Paul has given us an incredible example in this passage of what that looks like in the way he treated the Thessalonians. And I love that I can stand here before you to say to Orchard Community Church, you guys are really good at this. Keep it up. I see you guys care for one another. I've seen you care for me and my family and those that are hurting. I've seen people share stories of what God is doing in their lives. Keep it up. It is gospel and important work in the life of the church of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we see this passage, I pray that we would take to heart the incredible mission to care for our own souls by gathering to other, with other believers and the important mission of caring for the souls of others. As we reach out to them and connect them to the church, as we gather together with them purposefully and intentionally, I pray that we would do so. And I know our lives are busy and we have a lot going on, but may we value those times that we gather together and be purposeful in our times that we have to seek out others, to strengthen and encourage one another in the faith of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.